0: Welcome to Fishing Without Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations. As always, I'm joined by my good friend co-host and producer of this program, Mr. Mike, who's behind the scenes. Hello. And we are looking for individuals who are looking to create themselves rather to find themselves, to look at life and reality from another perspective and view life as an epic adventure. There is no admittance fee required other than the honesty, open-mindedness, and the willingness to try. Join our conversation and get acquainted with a neglected roster of guests. Expect the unexpected and get an assist into exploding into your life with full impact mindfulness. Uh, Good day, my friends. I'm Jim Ellermeyer. I'm a behavioral health therapist. And as always, we attempt to scour the airwaves for interesting individuals. And at times, we have people that contact us and perhaps want to explore some of their ideas and thoughts on this show that perhaps may be congruent or incongruent with ours, and that's cool too. So today we're joined by Professor Buzzkill. Professor Buzzkill, an interesting name. Could you share with us a little <laughs> bit of the origin?
1: Uh, the origin of Professor Buzzkill comes from my, st- my old students back when I used to be a college professor because I would often bust the myths that they brought into class or misunderstandings. And a lot of these misunderstandings about history, which is what I taught, and a lot of the things that they really misunderstood, they deeply believed in, it. and so they would say, when I tell them it wasn't true, and then I explain to them why it wasn't true, they say, oh, that's a real buzzkill. And they kept saying that, and so eventually they started calling me Professor Buzzkill, and when I decided to go into media and the wider world, I decided to call my call my show, which is a, a, a podcast like yours, Professor
0: Buzzkill. So what you're saying is to look behind the curtain.
1: Right, absolutely. And in fact, that's a good... That's a good analogy. It's a good image because that's on our website on the on the homepage of our website is me is a picture of me in in another painting of someone drawing back the curtain on George Washington dropping down cherry trees. Oh, okay. So that's exactly what I'm doing there, much like the wizard behind the curtain. That's right. <laughs> pay no attention. Well, except that I want people to pay attention to <laughs> the wizard behind the
0: curtain because that's me. Right. So on this show. Professor, we often talk about perceptions and how events are interpreted by the way people frame things from their past experience, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And our past experience generally is influenced by what we were told.
1: Yes, that's absolutely true for the study of history, especially the study of history for people who don't go on and continue and take higher degrees in history because where they get specialized. Because... They have often in school are reading books that are 50 and 60 years old. They're often learning uh, things about history that are 50 and 60 years out of date or maybe even 100 years out of date, and that's where a lot of these myths and things build up. And of course, if you're not going to become a professional historian, you're not going to bother to spend much of your time looking up whether J. Edgar Hoover was a cross-dresser, which is what a lot of people believe, but you know... That's what they go through life uh,
0: believing because that's what they were told. That's what they were told, So perception. So there's a thought out there that if one tells a lie loud enough and long enough, then people will believe it. Yes, and then we're seeing a lot of that happening these days. Indeed, indeed. So most of these things are based on fear. However, before the show, what you and I were discussing was that winners write the history books. Could you expand on that, Professor?
1: Well, winners generally write the history books. Fortunately, fortunately for historians and for the culture in general, winners also leave a lot of records. In fact, in some cases, in particular, Britain and what we're going to talk about today a little bit, made and kept a lot of records about, for instance, their empire building, not only because they needed records for obvious purposes, but they needed they believed they were showing what a good thing they were doing. And now historians are able to go back through all those records and all those archives and find that, well, you know, it wasn't such a good thing that you were trying to enlighten an entol- a whole subcontinent by, you know, treating them very badly. So it, it, winners could be writing the history, but they're writing it in such a proud way the Romans wrote it in such a proud way that we're able to think to to find out well, you know actually what you were doing that sounded so braggadocious really wasn't very good at all no
0: generally, and uh you know one of our favorite philosophers here is uh the Trappist monk Thomas Merton, who said mm-hmm. that uh most of the ills in the world can be traced to three things greed lust, and self love yes,
1: yes. Certainly,
0: and, and I keep thinking of the British uh, Empire going into and having that war with China, that rebellion, when the Chinese were actually trying to keep the British from, from pumping their country full of opium.
1: Yes, the opium wars, yeah. and And that's what I say about archives and records is the British are keeping records of what they're doing because they think what they're doing is right and they want details of what they're doing. I mean, the Nazis keep kept enormous numbers of highly detailed records, and they couldn't possibly burn them fast enough when the Soviets were knocking at the door in nineteen forty-five. And so, we know a lot about we now know a lot about the inner workings of Nazi Germany that uh, you know a lot of wise Nazis, so to speak, wouldn't have wanted known, but they believed what they were doing, and so they were sort of trumpeting what they were doing through their archives.
0: And this is what happens when, in my world, in the behavioral. World, we talk about people's perceptions are their reality. Yes, absolutely. And, and the deal is, is how do we change the perspe- perception without insulting them?
1: Yes, and that's very that's often hard to do because a lot of the perceptions that they have are very
0: comforting. And when we help people point out blind spots, we ask them to take a look from another perspective.
1: Yeah, and that's hard to do because they've never done it before. Also, as well, <laughs> well
0: I imagine that uh, you had some incredulous uh, students. Uh,
1: well, yeah. Uh, mostly, they're incredulous when they find out that a lot of their heroes don't necessarily uh, didn't necessarily do a lot of the things that they think they did, and didn't necessarily say a lot of the things they think they said. And it, it, I could I could see it in their eyes. They would sort of like stop and think, and you, wait a minute. That can't be true. It's like you're telling them uh, black is white, and then when you show them how these myths and misconceptions built over time. They will finally understand, but it's quite it is quite a shock.
0: Well, I would suspect even long ago people had their own PR companies oh, to, em, to embellish absolutely. their images. Absolutely.
1: That's not a new thing. Um the, the, the PR business, the spin doctor business is not new at all. It goes well back into to Roman times. Or maybe so, even Greek times
0: before mm, that. So tell us a little bit before we get into our subject for today, tell us a little bit about your interest in history. And actually, if you ask most people about history, uh, I would suspect that most of them view it as a very, this is my own thoughts, could be wrong. I don't view it this way. I view it as rich. However, I think most people would view it as boring. Yes. Well, it's, the, I I got into history
1: seriously because when I was, I wanted to be a political science major and I was doing that in college, or at least I thought I was doing that in college. And I was going on college year by year by year. And I thought, why am I, not, why am I not building up the credits to graduate? And my dad sat me down once and said, look, why don't you look at the actual courses you're taking? You're taking a lot of history courses. You're displaying your history knowledge, your, your history interest, and you don't even know it. You're supposed to be taking poli sci. You're supposed to be taking economics, but you're taking history. Become a history major and finish within a year. And that's what I did. And then I got was so interested in it, and I wanted to go on to graduate school and did that. So
0: you had the willingness to try.
1: I had the willingness to try, but it was also, as we're going to talk about today, staring me in the face. It was just the details. You know, my, I had twice as many history credits as I had poli-sci credits, so it would be crazy to continue to
0: try to be a poli-sci major. So, uh, and again, things were right in front of you. Yeah. So you had to actually... Have somebody wake you up exactly, exactly. And that was your father. In this I,
1: I case. was yes, and I was sleepwalking through poli sci, and he said, "Look, you're crazy. Just you become a history major. Not only is it a good subject, uh, you, you'll finish college on
0: time." And he pointed out a blind spot. Yeah,
1: you? yeah. And I was t- I was completely blind. And of course, once I looked at it, he was right. You know, he was he was saying, "You're almost done with the major in the requirements. Finish it off."
0: Yes, yeah, and quite often, what I'll do is I'll there's a awareness test on youtube it involves a moonwalking bear so perhaps you can watch that sometime and it's okay. it's excellent okay, okay. so even, even when the stuff is right in front of you and you're the one doing it
1: you you often don't realize it we're not looking there we're not looking we're at not it. Looking we're, we're blinded it. by these perceptions of what we think should be right even even though we're our body or our consciousness is tell is telling us what we should be doing because we're it's forcing us to do it we're just not paying attention
0: Well, and quite often on this show, what we do is differentiate between an expert's mind and a beginner's mind.
1: Yeah, that's right. So
0: we use the analogy of an expert's mind as you've seen a horse race. Yeah. It was run-run on Saturday. Yeah. The Kentucky Derby, okay? So these are big, magnificent animals. They can do one thing, and they can do it very well. Yeah. However, what do they have on over their eyes, Professor? Blinders. Yeah, that's correct. So most people go through life looking for one specific thing, okay? They have a goal either put on themselves by expectations of other people or mm-hmm. expectations of themselves. So they don't see many things that are around them. No. All right. So have you ever been around a three or a four year old child? And yeah. when they look <laughs> yeah. at something, yeah, that, that innocence and that joy yeah. of, of being there and they're, they're seeing everything. Yeah. Everything. Because they're seeing it, partly because they're seeing it for the first time. That's a beginner's mind. And there's no reason why we can't walk through our day as if it were the first time we saw anything.
1: Yeah. Often we need help, like as as you say, like in the case of my dad.
0: Yes. So, and again, you know, we talk we talk about buzz kills. We often talk about buzz words on this show. But mm. People have different buzz words. Uh, we've alluded to this many times. The rappers today say woke. Okay.
1: Yes, people and are woke. And
0: many, yeah. many, 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 many years ago, they asked the Buddha his people, the disciples, asked him, well, "What are you? Are you a spirit? Are you a god? Are you a saint? Are you a devil? Are you, a, what are you?" And he, his reply was, "I'm awake." Yeah. So there's no difference. An ancient Wake, concept. Woke. Right. Yes, and the Buddha didn't make that up either. No, okay. he didn't make it up. He, and, did, and, he didn't discover
1: and it. And he didn't. he's not getting the royalties from the rapper's music either.
0: <laughs> However, with this individualistic, egotistical, uh, self-will-driven concept that we pound into people's head today, anything that comes up that's new and works, new for us, we believe we invented it.
1: That's right, right. It could be centuries old, as you say. It could be as old as the Buddha or maybe even older than that.
0: I was walking through a store the other day, and there was this magazine, and the title of it was The New Mindfulness. hmm Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: there should be one, The Ancient
0: Mindfulness. So the idea is what your dad literally stood beside you and screamed, wake up. Wake up, yeah. No, and
1: it changed my life. It it, it really focused my life. Open your got, eyes. Open my eyes. Focus my life, and got me really got me going. I was, I was sort of, if you will, farting around. I don't know if Mike, this is a PG show or a, so if that, is, if that is counts, it. but um, it it's necessary.
0: So, what we help people do, and this is the concept of the full impact mindfulness, is uh-huh. we help people explode into their lives. Right. Okay. No more wishing and waiting and hoping that something happens. Right. Right. And, right. Right. Uh, that's kind of a segue into exploring new opportunities is what you presented to our show, and I found it so interesting. We just had to get together. Right. So tell me, <laughs> tell me about the reason that you contacted our show.
1: Well, it's because of your the title of your show, "Fishing Without Bait." which I think comes from the full full edition of this book that we're going to talk about, The Complete Angler by uh, Isaac Walton, which was written back in the 1600s. And I came to it by reading a philosophical book on golf, believe it or not, called Golf in the Kingdom, which was highly popular in the early 80s. And it it was this sort of philosophical exploration of, of really concentrating on golf, believing in golf and how golf by focusing how it could change your life and how you could look into these deeper things, and it mentioned this book on the way, and I thought, huh, that's interesting. So I went and got it, and I read it, and that's exactly what this book does. It does it in much greater detail than Golf in the Kingdom did, and it. Then, then I found out it proves to be one of the most popular books in the world. I think it's the most reprinted or the most sold book in English besides the Bible and uh, and Pilgrim's Progress or so. It's like number three on the all-time bestseller list in English, which is not bad.
0: Now, imagine that if that was the final question on Jeopardy.
1: Right, right. Um, well, yeah, what's number three? I don't think people would get it. And they certainly wouldn't believe that it, you know it's this, it's this philosophical treatise about fishing.
0: Quite often, uh, Professor, when uh, on Twitter I get some followers that have angling shops, that mm-hmm. fishing shops, mm-hmm. tour guides, whatever, because they believe that that's what this show is about. Right, right. It's about fishing. Uh, however, uh, the fishing without bait is a concept that Mike and I developed uh, many years ago uh, when we're helping people to avoid dealing with unrealistic expectations. Yes. To keep your eyes wide open and deal with what's right in front of you. Right, 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 right. So tell us a little bit more about what what happened after you started to read this book, and then we'll dive into it. Well,
1: when I was young and read this book, I the my, the first thing that struck me was This is the most detailed book about fishing. I just can't imagine anything more detailed than how he explains going into different fish, different types of rivers, different types of bait, different types of uh, rods and hooks and all that sort of stuff, and how it could possibly be something that was also philosophical. But the more I read it, the more I got into it, the more I realized he was telling us this is how you start to leave a contemplative you start to lead a contemplative life this is how you start thinking about how the details help bring out the wonder of the natural world and the, and it took i think the second or third reading before i really really got it and then of course i went off and did other things and I, and I didn't forget about it but i came back to it recently because i saw the title of your show and i thought that this this book would be perfect to talk about on the show and because the more I read it, the more often I read it, I should say that, the more it really calms me down and settles me down and helps me become more woke at the same time. I can't imagine anything else that does does this. Maybe religious people have this with the Bible or other sacred texts. I don't, but it, this, for some reason, gets me in that frame of mind and then teaches me more about my mind.
0: Well, and again, like you and I discussed earlier, everyone places things in order of their own frame of reference. Okay? My frame of reference happens to be the 12-step recovery world, Mm -hmm. which of course would be the big book and the teachings of the Buddha and the Quaker faith. Right. So in one line in uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I happen to follow, uh, Bill Wilson says in the book that... The best ideas are simple ones. Right. Okay. And right off, chapter one in here, he, he talks about uh, good company makes the way seem shorter. Yes. Seems like seems obvious, doesn't it? Yes. But how many people actually place these simple ideas into action and effort in their life, Professor? Well, almost nobody. But think of it: good
1: company. My dad made the way shorter for me. It, it because he said, "Look what you're doing. You're you're traveling down a history path. You talk about political science." That you really are a historian in training. Follow that path. Or we didn't say follow, he said maybe you should follow that path, and boom, the realization hit me.
0: And you and I talked about uh there's three essentials to recovery, and you and I discussed that everybody's in recovery from something.
1: Yes, right. You'd be, right.
0: be in recovery of something you'd be for Recovery from being afraid of bunny rabbits. Okay, I'm so. terrified of bunny rabbits. Why is
1: that a joke? I don't know. I, I don't
0: know. <laughs> so there's three essentials, Professor, and that's honesty, open-mindedness, and the willingness to try. And right. the most important of those is honesty. So what, uh, what Piscator says in this book, who is the writer of the book, I will be as free and open-hearted as discretion will warrant me to be with a stranger. Mm-hmm. And to which Viator replies, "I have confidence that you speak the truth." Yes. So right off, they they lay the foundation of honesty. Yeah.
1: We should probably tell the the listeners and the viewers that this book is it written in the sixteen hundreds, late six in the middle sixteen hundreds. is it written as a dialogue between two, and depending on what edition you get, sometimes three uh, people: Piscator being a fisherman, Viator or Venator being a uh, hunter and uh alceps being a falconer who's not in your edition but is in, is in mine and it, it it goes back and forth and that was a very common construction back in those days but piscator is definitely the teacher in this book and and viator in your book and venator in mine uh book is in my edition is is not only learning but eventually becomes a fellow master
0: And I thought it interesting that right in the beginning of the book, they talk about otters. Yes. (laughs) And I I found that significant. The way I looked at that is when we uh, look at things in a four-step inventory, we make a searching, fearless, moral inventory of ourselves and what we attempt to do. Is identify the character defects and weaknesses that we have that are preventing us from moving ahead, okay, in our lives. And I took this as saying that the otters are much like character defects and weaknesses that we want to root out of our lives.
1: Please check out our website at fishingwithoutfaith.com where you can listen to the show.